also like your theme song. I, I like it that, you know, we kind of hum it throughout the week and different things. That Jesus is still the answer because my soul isn't that the truth. Hey, let me just let me just thank God for this year, the retention. I don't know if that word, this, if it applies right here, but just has been, whoa, sorry, that's the mic. Anyway, but as far as just your, just your faithfulness throughout the week, um, you know, this is great. I mean, I, I, I mean, I really can't tell the difference between Sunday morning and Sunday night now. It's just, it's an incredible. I, and I know that you, you come because you love the Lord, but it sure is encouraging to have someone to preach to. <laughs> and so it definitely is a blessing to be able to be here. Like I said, I understand revival weeks are busy weeks and different things. However, I'm thankful by the grace of God that you've made it a priority, obviously to make yourself, you're not going to just happen to be here on Tuesday, okay? It doesn't happen. It's a choice. And I praise God for the choice that you've made to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, I appreciate the invitation, Pastor, as far as just to be able to pass through. I don't take that uh, for granted at all as far as just to be able to be be trusted, to be able to come behind your pulpit and handle the Word of God. And I I don't take that for granted because, you know, people who have been in ministry like yourself for many, many years and different things, and um, and they're just affirmation that God's call upon my life is such a blessing to me, and so I appreciate that. Hey, with, with those things being said, want to be timely. However, as we looked and answered a lot of different questions, I want us to really just think about our God here tonight. I want us to be able to take our Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Exodus, chapter number 32. Uh, the young people in chapel, I was telling them, I showed them a picture of my mom and my dad, and I asked them to vote who they thought I looked the most like. It was a resounding winning thing that my dad and I look a lot of like. And during that chapel message, I shared with them, everyone in our family has a nickname. In fact, there's many people in my family who I still really, I don't know their name. I really just know their nickname. Um, And my dad's name always is Lulu. My mom is Vass. And so I'm always Lulu's boy for the most part, wherever I go. And my mom's always just been Vass or Packy. Don't tell her I said that. (laughs) That is her name. But anyhow, that's her name. And even my 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 uh, my aunts. There is uh, I got I got an uncle Pudic. I I got Rat. There's Rat. I forgot about her. And uh, I, I mean it's just. My, the great-grandpa on my side of the family, he is the namer of, the, um, of giving everybody nicknames. And once you get it, it's literally stuck with you for life. And you're saying, what's yours? I have no way I'm telling you. There's no, there's no way. There's no gift card. Well, let me take that back. But uh, I'll just say, <laughs> there's nothing really. I, I don't want to be called by the rest. I made the mistake and told one youth pastor, he's never let me forget. And I learned my lesson since then. However, usually, if you have a nickname inside of here, typically, it has something to do maybe about your personality or whatever. We used to pick on Jasmine. Her nickname was Gabby. Take a guess uh, why her nickname was Gabby. She liked to talk and different things. And so it's different, different areas we just kind of give nicknames and tells about. Now, anybody who's a Bible student understands clearly that if you are going to study God and who he is, the way you're going to have to do it is you've got to have a study upon his names. The names of God tell who he is, what he is about, his character, how he works with us. God, as far as, is so big. And, and, and obviously, this is just a way our finite mind can understand the absolute complex nature of whatever happens in the heavenlies, is understanding his names. Tonight, I want to talk to you about his name, one of his names. It is not the most popular of his names. 
In fact, I was in a service and the person was not preaching on this verse, but he read through it. And when he read it, I did a double take. Have you ever heard a verse a preacher read and you're like, I've read my Bible dozens of times. (laughs) I never remember reading that. That's what happened to me. And I didn't even hear what the man said afterwards, actually. I just started studying that verse. (laughs) I was like, I can't believe I've been saying this song, never seen this verse before. Now, I'll tell you the the way that we're going with this message. Okay, I'm going to read the verses. And as I read the text verses, I am going to then go back and give you the intro that led to that. And so, consequently, the message has an unbelievably long introduction. But... The message itself is very short. You see what I'm saying? you got to understand the build up to what takes place here and understand what made God say what he said. Y'all have listened so well. I hope that this makes sense. And I pray that it will be be not just convicting, but just stick in our mind about our God. Exodus chapter number 34. We're going to begin reading in verse number 13. Exodus 34, verse 13, the Bible says this, But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a Jealous. I always knew that God was jealous. But this passage, God says, hold up. I'm not just jealous. That is my name. Wow. You begin to think about this. Okay, so it doesn't ring well in our mind, especially in English, because we think of that automatically being a transgression of the law. Do not confuse the word jealous, though. First, let's contrast it with the word covetous. Covetous, that is sin. In the law, Exodus 20, the Bible says, thou shalt not covet. And it gives a list of things you are not to covet. Covetousness is the feeling you have towards somebody else's possession. You look at somebody that day, I covet your job, I covet your house, I covet your car. You see, I have a lust inside of my heart that I look and I then covet. Covet is not jealousy. All right, so, so then we think, okay, okay, so is it covetousness or is it envy? Is it like envy? No, 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 envy is different as well. Covetous, covetousness, I covet the item that somebody has or their possession. Envious is this, is that I don't like the possessor of the item. Do you see what I'm saying? I, envious is the feeling I have, I don't like the guy who has the house. <laughs> I don't like the guy who has the car. It's not just I covet the car, now I'm envious, and I don't even like the possessor of somebody who has that item. So, what then is jealous? By just a sheer definition, as you look at it, it is the fear of losing something that I love to somebody else. 
Now, typically, when we talk about in our realm, in a human life, jealousy is typically is we have an overwhelming desire for one thing, and therefore we hold to it tightly, fear losing it to something else, and usually is sometimes a lustful desire. But in its purest form, jealousy is I have something to which I love so much. And I do not want to lose it to nothing else. The premise of this message is this. When God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me, he meant it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Jesus, jealous. We thank you that we can come to your house. I pray that you would help our minds and hearts to tune in of more of who you are and understand so that as we are here upon this earth, Lord, trying to do your will, Lord, the unbelievable love that you have for us. I pray that you would just empty me of myself and fill me with thy spirit to say the things you would have me to say. Lord, I do pray, Lord, that we truly would, as we learn more about you, grow with just, Lord, in our faith and in our walk and in our understanding. Lord, I pray that you would remove distractions from our mind. Lord, I believe you are honored when we talk about you and we exalt your name. And hence, we try tonight to be able to do so, Lord, in a very applicable and a very practical way. Use this time we have together. Lord, I don't want to squander, Lord, the opportunity, Lord, you've given to me to be behind this sacred desk. I pray, Lord, to be filled with thy spirit. Lord, to be able to say forth. Lord, to speak with boldness and authority because behind, Lord, because the word of God, Lord, is that which is to be proclaimed. God, I pray that you'd use this time. In Christ's name, we certainly pray to Amen. I do not read anywhere else in scripture where the, God makes this statement. Where he introduces himself in this language, calling himself that his name now to be referred to himself as jealous. So where did this come from? What made God say this? Well, quick history lesson before we take a couple pages back. Is you're probably familiar with Israel's history. You know, they're there in Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. God uses ten plagues, blow the mind to the Egyptians. They end up, God splits the Red Sea in half. Remember, they got after the, after the end of the Red Sea, man, Miriam grabbed her tambourine. They sang a praise song to God like you wouldn't believe. Got to a little bit later down the road, got a little bit hungry and started saying, we wish we were back in Egypt. They went through a cycle of different things. What happened, Exodus 20, God gave the Ten Commandments. He says, well, the, this is already taking place before we get to this point. So that's already happened. And as they're now coming, they've set camp here. And Moses is going to the top of a mountain to talk to God, him and Joshua. Joshua doesn't go all the top, but there's Moses and Joshua waits for him. Now, the Ten Commandments has already been given. And so now the people are sitting down. And as they're sitting down at the bottom of the mountain, they're kind of wondering. They've been following this pillar of cloud, this ball of fire. They've been following following that in the wilderness for so long and they think it's time to get ready and get going back on the road and get to the promised land. Well, their leader Moses is not back 
from the top of the mountain. One week goes by. Where's Moses? He's up there talking to God. Two weeks goes by. Where's Moses? He's still up there talking to God. Three weeks go by. Where is Moses? The people get antsy. See what happens. Exodus chapter number 32. Exodus 32. A couple pages back. Here's what happens. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that hath brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears, in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. After he made it a molten calf and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. They rose up early on the morrow. And offered burnt offering and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. So Moses goes to the top of the mountain. They, they wondered and questioned where he was. They get a little bit weary and antsy. And they think, all right, you know what? You know what? We need our own, we need our own plan. We, we, okay, we're going to get to the promised land somehow or another. I don't know what Moses is doing. I don't know how long it's been. He hasn't said when he's going to be coming back. And you watch some people make the most foolish decisions ever when they're not willing to wait on the Lord. I mean, it's like, what are you thinking? You know, I, I, go, to, I go to colleges, different things, and as I would speak there, it's just kind of like I, I watch somebody, and I'm like, you did what? You're doing what with your life? You married who? Because <laughs> you weren't willing to wait on the Lord? Now, see, when the people then got to this point, they go to Aaron, and they make this foolish decree, up and make us gods which shall go before us. I mean, even the language is so foolish. Of We got to make the very thing through whom we serve. And say, so ask Aaron, and Aaron says, I got an idea. And then he says, all right, go ahead and bring all the gold to me, and I'll fashion and make this calf. Now, let me tell you, just in passing as we go through this passage, it's one thing as adults if we do foolish things, but it's another thing to do foolish things and get your family involved in it as well. You see what they walked into those kids those kids had watched that ball of fire those kids had watched God's foot them give them manna from heaven those kids watched all that and now the dot daddy goes inside the tent and says hey kids I need you to give me all your earrings I need you to give me all your jewelry we're gonna take it over here well the girls are saying well daddy these are my favorite why are you gonna take these well honey I need all these things because we are gonna make ourselves a god we're going to make ourselves something because obviously Jehovah hasn't said anything in three weeks. And since he is not doing anything for us, we will now make our own gods. And daddy's going to take these things in his own hands. It's one thing to do foolishness. It's another thing to keep your family in that foolishness. Took the gold. I mean, you got to imagine. This is not some little rinky-dinky little, little calf. This thing was probably enormous. Think about all the gold these people had between all these many Israelites that were there that had, had been there in this wilderness. They make this golden calf. And Aaron comes up 
and he said, we're going to worship this. And as we worship this, tomorrow he built an altar in front of it to have a sacrifice. And the wording he uses, that L-O-R-D, he says, we're, tomorrow we're going to have a feast. We're going to pretty much dedicate this idol. And he said, we're going to have a feast to the Lord. He used God's name, Jehovah. Not cool. Remember, I told you what's leading up to this. We're getting to Exodus 34, okay? Well, now the scene changes. This is at the bottom of the mountain. Then the scene changes to the top of the mountain where Moses is talking to God. Wherever God was getting the law and giving the law and writing upon the tablets of stone there for Moses. And as he was up there for that long, the Bible says in verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, Go get thee down. For thy people which thou hast brought us up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You know, the, power, the tongue's a powerful thing. The tongue's a very powerful thing. You know that about talk about in James. Very powerful. You know, you know you could say something today so hurtful to somebody. That they will never forget the rest of their life. You realize you can do that? I mean, you can walk out of this building, you can say something so mean. That person will never forget. You know, you can walk out of this building, you can say something so nice. That a person will never forget the rest of their life. You know, that's the power of the tongue. It's incredible. Now, rarely do I see God quote people in the Bible. But God quotes these people. Moses is here, and he's giving, God's giving Moses, and he's writing the law. And it's almost like God says, stop. Moses, you don't know this, but down the bottom of that mountain, you know what they're doing? They're building a calf. And do you know what they said? Let me tell you, Moses, what they said. Here is what they said, and I quote, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Could you imagine saying something so hurtful to God that he would even quote it? He would even say it verbatim for you. He says, you know what? Now, again, let's understand that God speaks true. God doesn't bluff. He doesn't have no no poker face or anything. When God says something, he's going to do it. Look what he says he's going to do. He says, verse number nine, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, behold, a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. (laughs) And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy, thy servants whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And unto on all this land that I have spoken of, I will give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. This is huge. This story is key if you are going to study Hebrew history. You know what God said? I'm going to kill them all. So he said, I'm going to kill them all. And I will keep my promise because I got Moses. 
Moses, I got you. You are the seed of Abraham. I will start over. If Moses didn't get on his knees and beg God for the mercy of those people, you would have read this. And God smote them. And you wouldn't be saying, Father Abraham, how many? You'd be going, Father Moses, how many sons? That's what you'd be doing? Why? Because he said, I will start over. He's not bluffing, okay? You don't take an idol and call that Jehovah. That's his name. As you look at this, Moses does the example of what's called standing the gap. Let's do a little exegetical thing just real quick, just so we're clear that we're not thinking something we don't know about God himself. That God's throwing a temper tantrum or whatever it is. As Moses is here, this is staying the gap. You, walk, you look at a people over here who have offended God. And you look at a God who's getting ready to do judgment. God brought something out of Moses because Moses stood in the gap. He is asking the appeasing hand of God upon this, upon them. At the same time, he is grieved about what a nation has done. And he begs for mercy for them from God. See, see, we, it's possible to be absolutely disgusted and hurt about what's taking place inside of our nation. However, if it affects us staying the gap and begging God to be able to have mercy, that we might be able to see God's hand do something once again, that's staying the gap. Sometimes we as Christians like, go ahead, God, zap America, baby. We've done a lot of dumping. Go ahead, I'll help you out. Give me a gun. Let me. You see, sometimes that's our spirit. Seeing the gap, Moses stood up for people who hurt him, who he's upset with, and still prayed for them and begged for their lives. And God granted it. The Bible says the Lord repented. How on earth does God repent? God is immutable. You know that means God, the guy doesn't change. God was holy yesterday. God is holy today. And guess what? He's going to be holy tomorrow. His character never changes. However, God can change his plan based on the actions of man. God had his hand caught back, kicked out Nineveh, but because Nineveh repented, God said, you know what, I'm going to, I repent based upon their actions. And based upon Moses' actions, God says to them that he's going to spare them. Now, we have to fast forward the story. He comes down from the top of the mountain. As he comes down from the top of the mountain, um, um, Joshua's walking with him as they're walking side by side. Joshua kind of starts grabbing for his sword and he listens and he says, it sounds like there's war in the camp. There sounds like the battle's going on. Are the people being attacked? And Moses already knows what's going on. He puts his hand up and says, put that sword away. What's going on over there is no type of attack. What's going on over there is a bunch of wickedness. He walks over there. Don't even want to describe the scene, but it was awful of what was taking place there among that people and of that idol. If you look in Numbers chapter number 5, you will see that there is something called a jealousy offering. What happens in a jealousy offering is this. If a man suspected his wife was committing adultery, what would happen is he would have a jealousy offering. He would take his wife whom he suspect was not being faithful and they would stand before a priest. As they stand before the priest, he would make the woman swear that she has been faithful to her husband. And part of that, he would then grab a clay pot and then he would take water and he would take dirt that came from the tabernacle floor and he would sprinkle 
mixture. After he made the mixture, he made the person who was guilty, you will drink this. And if you drink this and you are innocent, it'll be just like drinking water. If you drink this and you are guilty, we have asked God to take this to make it poison to your body. Basically, you will never have children again, and it's going to be very painful to put it lightly, is what's going to happen. And he says, go ahead, do you agree to drink this and made him drink of it? It's a jealousy offering. After Moses then went down to that mount, he took that craft and he ground it down to powder and he told them that same offering, drink it. Drink. That gold powder that came from that calf. It's almost like a showing of your guilt. That if you're guilty, God, you deserve death for this thing of going against Jehovah God and defying his name. A battle happens, it's sad. Men going against their own brothers and fighting. Thousands die. It's an awful scene. Should have never happened. After the dust settles, the people get ready to go to their tents. And God sees the people and they're kind of getting their gear and stuff. And <laughs> read Exodus 34, just so you don't, I mean, Exodus 33, just so you don't think I'm saying it. God literally says this. They're looking at that pillar of cloud and thinking, I guess it's time to go now. That was a mess. Getting ready to go. And God says, I ain't going to take y'all anywhere. <laughs> so if I take you somewhere, I might kill you. <laughs> he, he did. He says in Exodus 33. He says, we're going to stay right here. Moses goes out the camp. And he builds this little, this little area over here. It's almost like an altar, so to speak. Like, he comes away from everybody else, and he comes away from everybody, and he says, I'm going to beg God for forgiveness of what's taking place in this, in, this, in, this, uh, in this camp. Some people followed along and left the camp and went over and were repentant in their spirit. And God says, Moses, you've got to know something about me. My name is Jealous. I love you so much. I love these people so much. Your mind cannot even wrap around. And I don't want to lose you to nothing. Long introduction. Quick message. Say, Adrian, I don't have idols inside of my room. It's not like I go and I worship Baal in my living room. It's not like I have great is the Diana of the Ephesians sitting somewhere. It's not like I have that. Adrian, what does this mean to me? You know, in our culture today, no, 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 our gods don't bear the name Baal. They don't look like a little goblet of greatest Diana of the Ephesians. But my friends, our gods sometimes are a giant inn called Netflix. And a giant H called Hulu has a couple cameras on the front and the back, and it's called a smartphone. So sometimes our gods aren't necessarily that. They're, they're not necessarily those gods. Like, we know F bad, worshiping that and worshiping that. But, but hold up. What is a god to me? What, what, what is the thing that has my focus? What is the thing that if you took away from me for one day, I'm telling you I'll lose my mind. 
it, when we find that, maybe, maybe it's you got to unplug something. If I, if I took your Bible and hid it for a day, could you just go along the day? But if I took, if I cut off your cable, baby, oh, man, if I took your phone, I took your hobby, you couldn't exist. I know, it's, I know it's, just, it's kind of silly, but just follow the illustration, okay? What if God's in heaven? Let's just say he's in heaven. Now, we know God knows all things. And let's just say he has angels that are sitting by. And again, this is silly, but just, just, just think about it. He's getting reports. Hey, come here, Gabriel. I need a report on, uh, on my man down there. Uh, let's just call him... Uh, is anybody named Sam here? If you are, don't say anything. All right, Sam. All right. I need a report on Sam. Is there really a Sam? Great. Okay. Sam. All right. I need a report on Sam. Angels go through. All right. I got it. I think I got it. Yes, sir. Sam, 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 Sam. Oh, yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see Sam. I got everything. We need no Lord. And let's say God's sitting there and he's sitting in his throne. He said, well, I need an update. I mean, because... He was on fire for me last time we were, last time I got the report. Took, he couldn't keep him out of church. I mean, his devotional life was on fire. I mean, one day, he like had his little timer set. He had to get ready to go to work. And he had his little timer set. And he got to study it. And the timer went off. He didn't even hit a timer. He was late for work. <laughs> I tell you, how is Sam doing? Oh, boy. You ain't going like this one. Okay. Well, yeah, well, actually, no, he's not. He's been, been in this Bible for a while now. You know, like he ain't been in church neither. Now, I mean, he, oh, oh, he, he, a couple times, a couple times, Easter, here he is. <laughs> All right. And let's just say as he's reading that. Now, listen, whenever somebody is jealous of somebody else, it's not just that we're jealous. Like a jealous boyfriend, jealous girlfriend, that's typically the context we use it in. Now, follow me. Now, typically, if that is taking place, jealous boyfriend, jealous girlfriend, and the girl, let's just say the girl's like, you know, um, I, I don't believe this is going to be right for us, and, and she walks away, and here's the guy all alone. If he loses something so precious to him, not only is he angry about that, but also there's something else he wants to know. Who did she leave me for? Who is it? And in Proverbs, I said a girlfriend and boyfriend, but in Proverbs, the Bible says a jealousy is a rage of a man. You want to see a man at his maddest, take that which is most precious to him and take it away. The thing he fears to lose most, let that happen. And you've never seen rage like that. So the natural question then, well, God, I guess he's, he's not serving you like he used to. Could you imagine the God in heaven going this? Wow. Guess something's more important to him than me. Hey, Gabriel. What did I lose to? What's, what's more important to him than me? Well, that house you got him seems to be more important. Tell you what, he would he, he never miss an opening movie now, open movie night. Looks to be more important. Oh, that, 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 that car he got in the garage, oh, yeah, I, I 
I tell you what, I guess, I guess that's just, I mean, that's where he spends his time. I mean, I, not necessarily for these other things that you have. If God in heaven, what does he lose to in my life? Remember his name. It's jealous. You continue to go down. You see number one. That no I understand that we don't have idols that sit in our living room. But when God is not in first place. He has been replaced. Observation number two. I have to take from this passage that. God loves me a lot. God just doesn't tolerate me. It's not just, well, I guess he's one of those beings. No, he so desires a relationship with me. You see, when God's deep love for us requires shallow dedication to flee. Friend, I don't know how to say it. English doesn't put it. Words can't do it. Can't give it justice. I can't give it illustrations. I can't give you these facts. I can't necessarily get our minds to wrap ourselves around how much God loves us and how much he wants our attention. Just take the fact that, my friend, when we sing that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. I can say it, jealous loves me, this I know. Jealous wants my full attention. This is not a sideline little gig. He paid that sin debt, baby. That was love. You know, uh, it changes how I think and how I see things. I'm almost done. Change how I see things. See, um, my wife and I, sometimes, we don't do it as much now, but um, a lot of times we will have an, um, this is audible books. You know, like, you know, books on tape, books on, books on audio and different things. And we have found when you have a book, an audiobook you listen to, you got to have a good reader, okay? You have a good reader, you can take an okay book. It'd be great. The reader can get into it. They know how to do the voices and different things. It just makes the book better. It even creates a scene sometimes. You know, sometimes as I, and, and, and listen to me, as, as I would read the Bible, I would see God in this light, And sometimes we still might be at that stage where we see God in this light. We will quote 1 John chapter number, I think, first two or three, but where it says, love not the world, neither things of the world. Here is how we'll think about it. We kind of think of a God in heaven going, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father is not in him. What's in the world? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. No, the Father's not the world, you know. And there's nothing wrong with strong preaching upon the fact that you don't love the world. And sometimes we can look in the Old Testament and think to ourselves, wow, God is this big animal, just you better wait because he has lightning bolt ready to go. If you do something bad, watch out, you shall be toast. That is sometimes how we see him. You know what I say about an audible reader? See, it's like they can create a scene. Do you know, looking through the lens of God being a jealous God, I see a God who loves me so much. Who says, love not the world. Why? Because I am your heavenly father. And I know that if you love the world, you will ruin your life 
I know your deepest desires have joy and happiness and peace and these things. And I know your desires better than you even know them yourself. You have believed the Satan's lie that thinking these things are going to make you happy. And I am trying to tell you from this passage, don't love the world. Neither things that are in the world. You see a father. You see, just like the only illustration that even close is a dad and a child or a mom and a child where the child is not getting it. Where they're just like, why do I have to do this? And the parent is convinced and no, they're making the right call. They're making the right decision. But they can't get their kid to understand. And they're trying to bake on the fact of the kid and saying, trust me, I love you. I'm your parent. Just listen to me. God in heaven, take that and multiply it by a thousand. Don't do this. Don't go there. I am a father who loves you. cares so deeply for you. Don't ruin your life. His name is Jealous. Father in heaven, jealous.